Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. My guest today is Karok Ray, and we'll be discussing the impact of the university system on America's capacity for innovation. Karok is an associate professor at the Mays Business School of Texas A&M University and director of the Mays Innovation Research Center. He's the author of the recent National Affairs article, The Innovative University. Karok, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Nice to meet you. I think many people assume, and certainly my assumption, that American universities are the best in the world, the envy in the world. Is that true or is that still true? And why is that? So I I think the good news is that right now they still are the best of the world. Uh, So that is uh, that is a true statement. Uh, I don't know if it will always be that way, but uh, it is where we are today. I think that's fundamentally because of it, since World War II, the uh, U.S. has made big investments in higher education, uh, primarily through entities like the National Science Foundation. Uh, so Vannevar Bush was the dean of the College of Engineering at MIT, and he sort of really envisioned the modern industrial university, which created MIT and many other entities like that. And that, uh, you know, he also created the NSF, the National Science Foundation, which which is designed for uh, promoting basic research, but it actually does, in fact, fund a lot of applied research too, primarily through U.S. universities. And so there's, over the last, uh, since, since World War II, there's been a huge amount of investment in, in, in uh, higher education, uh, research level education at, at U.S. universities. Um, and it is, uh, it is going well up till now, but there are some serious issues we need to address uh, that I could talk in depth about, uh, and especially given the global competition for technology investment. Now, you mentioned uh, you were, the phrase you used was the industrial university, um, which, you know, based on what you said, has has played a, a a big role in American innovation. So, why don't you maybe just expand on that about the industrial university and and I can assume that that it wasn't always the case when maybe when the universities played this sort of role. So why don't you just speak for a couple of minutes about that? Sure. Yeah. So in the U.S., there really are two kinds of universities. There is uh, technical industrial universities. And I think MIT is probably the best example of that. And on the other side, there are liberal arts universities. And you could say Harvard is kind of the best example of that. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, really um, more Princeton because given they don't even have uh, professional schools. Uh, Those are the two dominant paradigms in higher education today. The industrial university uh, largely uh, arises from the strength of the engineering faculty and uh, students, which is is funded largely through government grants rather than through through tuition. And in these universities, these are... um, essentially a lot, they, they can, you can think of them as both doing some pure research, but also a lot of applied research to bring ideas from uh, theory to practice. Uh, and and the, like I said, the NSF funds 
huge amounts of money every year towards uh, these uh, these universities to to develop these uh, technologies that eventually make it to market. Sometimes through uh, through actual spinouts of the university, uh, sometimes through the students who then go on to uh, start companies of their own, uh, and sometimes through formal programs that the that, like the NSF has, like the ICOR program example, to commercialize technology. There are all these different avenues for commercialization of, of research. That is primarily happening through these uh, industrial universities. Liberal arts universities, on the other hand, they don't actively commercialize research or even do applied research at that scale. They, they are successful in innovation by primarily through their students. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos are examples. They weren't work, they weren't, it wasn't like Facebook and Amazon were research projects that faculty were working on at Harvard and Princeton, but rather they were projects that the students were working on and they, they, they executed that on their own afterwards. So those are the two main paradigms in yeah. higher education today. So uh, that, so they both, they both play a role sort of uh, American innovation, different roles that you just, you just outlined. And your concern is it that the, uh, at least the, the industrial kind of university where they're where there's a commercialization of the research being done at those kinds of schools, is that 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 there's something wrong with that process? Yeah, I think I think it could be better. Um, uh, to be totally frank, I think what's what's happening now is that there's a lot of mixed messages because these universities are purportedly in the in the uh, supposed to be pursuing basic science, and, and to some extent, and to some large extent, they do that. But at the same time, the NSF funding is becoming more and more based on application. So, you know, the, for example, the NSF runs a big program called Engineering Research Centers, which gives, you know, 30 to $60 billion grants to, to universities over several years. And they're not really just looking for purely theoretical research. They are looking for real impact on society. But the universities don't fully embrace that. And I think they're a little schizophrenic and they could more fully engage their commitment to innovation in a more substantial and coherent way. So I guess what I'm asking is that that, you have, that universities are key to American innovation and different sort of the two kinds of universities kind of have a, a, a different role. So do you think broadly that process is working or should, does there need to be uh, revisions in how they sort of uh, that, that sort of piece of sort of the American innovation machine? So I, I, I think it's, it's, it's working at some level, but the frank answer is I think we've been pretty lucky so far, and I'm not sure that it's actually working at a systematic level. I mean, we've been lucky in the sense that we've had a vibrant tech sector over the last, you know, you know since World War II, and, and we are uh, at, at right now uh, leading in some, some areas of, of innovation, but I think it could be vastly improved. Um, and to me, there's a lot of inefficiency within higher education and how to execute innovation. And one example is that even within these industrial universities like MIT or Texas A&M, there's a lot of the faculty and students who are not really engaged at all in innovation and they could be. So for example, the liberal arts faculty are largely agnostic or totally detached from innovation. Whereas part of the value of innovation is not just what is the technical innovation, but what is the impact on society and how do you, for example, have an innovative business model? If we know anything about real innovation in the last 
20, 30 years is that it's never just technical innovation alone. It is always some kind of business innovation, economic innovation, or social innovation on top of the technological innovation. And we have all these skills within universities. We just don't deploy them and we don't recruit them in the right ways. Uh, well, I think at least some parents like to hear that. I think a lot of parents think <laughs> that obviously every kid needs to be engineering or computer science. And there is no role for liberal <laughs> arts uh, in the economy of today, the economy of the future. Uh, but that's not true. Right. I mean, it's not. Yeah, we need, need everybody, everybody rowing. We need everybody rowing. Exactly right. Exactly right. Let me give you one simple example. OK, Google is a great example. You know, Google started actually when I was at Stanford uh, 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 getting my Ph.D. right around that time. And it started simply as an algorithm, a way to rank websites. But Google is not only successful just for that. It is it fundamentally also created an entirely new way of selling advertising. And that's the reality of why it's, it's a, a nearly you know, trillion dollar company now. And, you know, we, we never, no one ever talks about the, uh, the economics or the business of understanding innovation and digital advertising at, and you thinking of Google as the example. We always see Google as the, the fund, you know, the first search engine that implemented the page rank algorithm. So I think there's a, a huge benefit to using the liberal arts skills and that we that we teach and that we have uh, a lot of deep knowledge on and applying that towards innovation to, to really to really amplify your impact if i'm uh if i'm an engineering professor or computer science professor or and i have and i have an a great idea that can be uh that can be you know turned into an amazing uh, amazing project project uh, product business useful really useful in some way what what happens next like do i get you know does the who who, who if that who uh, who gets the credit for this who gets the uh the revenue for that how, do, how does that process work so first the first thing is to decide whether the idea comes from the student or the or the faculty uh, if it comes from the student then the university really has no claim to that ip and the student is kind of on their own uh, and they have to go through whatever I would say extracurricular channels and resources are available to them at the university to help uh, take that product to market. Um, so that may be an entrepreneurship center that puts them in touch with mentors or they join a startup incubator. Uh, usually those are not that connected to the university itself. Where the university has a bigger role is when IP that emerges from faculty or staff off of usually off of funded research. And so, for example, they, the, a professor of engineering receives a big NSF grant to explore something. And then an offshoot of that grant is that they would like to commercialize some of that technology. In that case, they usually approach their, or they're supposed to approach their tech commercialization office, and they will then uh, discover some, some, some kind of a contract between the faculty and a, uh, the, the entity that they will create, usually a startup. Universities vary a lot in terms of how much support and resources they bring to help that, that, that faculty commercialize the, the business. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they offer a lot of support and they'll, uh, they'll even help found, gather the entrepreneurs together, put the team together, uh, provide and locate funding for the startup. And sometimes they'll do the bare minimum. So there's a wide range. 
Right. So some universities, they, they, they really understand that process. They encourage that process. Others don't. Um, do you think, do you think that's changed as far again? And I imagine ones which are more industrial kinds of universities, maybe they, they focus a bit more, more on that. Generally, do you think given sort of you know, the global competition and global competition for talent that universities are becoming more aware of that process and feel like they need to do more to help help their, uh, their, their students or certainly their professors take, the, take those next steps, they, 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 you know, do whatever they can to help them in that process? So I, have, I, I think there's mixed results here. Um, and I'm going to go back to my Google story because actually mm-hmm. Stanford was, was critical in this, this change, which is that um, Stanford actually is a, is a nice example of a company that, of a university that, that obviously was wildly successful off of Google, both from the university itself, which, uh, which made money off of Google, but also the, some of the faculty who were the advisors to the, the founders who also were able to take, uh, take, have some ownership in, in Google also. Uh, but once that story got out about Google, of Stanford's success with Google, what happened in the last 20 years is all universities started to ramp up their commercialization efforts. And they saw Google as a great case study. Maybe we have our own Google lurking within our halls, most university commercialization offices uh, thought. But uh, it didn't actually work out as, as, you know, as, as we like because there were two reasons. One is that much of the success of Google is because of its, its position in Silicon Valley beyond Stanford itself. And, and many universities don't have that, uh, that ecosystem built out. And what they, what they did is the commercialization office offices impose fairly rigid uh, and somewhat onerous uh, agreements with faculty, which if anything, rather than promoting innovation, it actually hindered innovation because it, it essentially promised that much of the, uh, the, the or at least some partial, some part of the equity would go to the university and faculty often wonder, well, what, what do I get in exchange? If the university isn't giving anything exchange, in exchange, it's not really a fair, it's a raw deal. And uh, it hinders innovation because then faculty don't disclose. They don't disclose actually what their ideas are. They, 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 would, they, they don't want to give up equity for no reason because they're not sure. getting on the other side marketing or connections or networking or whatever you have it. So should universities have closer ties with business in order to, uh, I guess, particularly for students, uh, help? you know, uh, help fully maximize any ideas or that kind of innovative potential. I mean, obviously you have a tremendous resource. We've highlighted at least one example of, of students turning their idea into a, you know, a, a really a trillion dollar, uh, a trillion dollar company. Do there need to be closer ties and, and, are, and do universities kind of push away from that in many cases? I, I think there, there could be a lot of benefit from closer ties. Uh, and I, I think they, uh, the, the process right now is fairly haphazard. Uh, and I think a lot of the ties can come through alumni. And most universities, in my opinion, don't really actively utilize their alumni base. It's kind of random. You know, they use it for, for development or maybe you want to fund the next football stadium. But in terms of actually connecting with what alumni do in their careers, a lot of the most successful alumni of any universities are entrepreneurs who are for who innovation is, is key to their, their life. And they would be more than happy to engage with students, the young generation, on substantial, meaningful projects than simply getting called from the development officer 
to flood the next athletic stadium. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> should for sure. I mean, that's that's, that's, a, that's a rather interesting thing to integrate. Probably it's just a fun phone call to make. Uh, should government be giving a lot more money to schools for research? And I, and and, my, and one of my concerns, which you might want to address, is that I'm also concerned that there'll be too much on the applied side. And I, I'm very worried that we're so focused on now industrial policy, and we, I want to talk about China in a moment, and competing with China, that we're going to forget about the basic research uh, side of things. So one, should governments be spending, giving more money to schools? Uh, and what should that money be for? So I, I don't think this would require a increase in, in public funding of, of higher education. I think we could keep it as it is and e- even possibly decrease it if the money that was doled out to the universities was, uh, was targeted a little better. And so much of, the, much of the innovation in this space can happen within higher education itself. And frankly, higher education has their own incentives to get this right. Uh, in the long term, for, here's my, I'm, I'm fully convinced that if a, if a university has a policy that executes well on innovation, it will pay for itself over generations because of the loyalty of alumni to give back to the university that could eventually uh, offset tuition increases later. So I do think it's in the university's interest to do this. And the government, the government's role is for if when they do give, give say, NSF grants, that maybe they tailor these grants to make sure that the universities that receive them actually engage the broad set of faculty and not just narrow silos as it is right now. I think that would be one policy change that would be, that would be improving, welfare improving. I mentioned China. That's obviously a lot of these policy discussions. There's always a, a China aspect to them. So, do you think, uh, do you think universities really are equipping this country to compete with with sort of China's innovation output? Chinese leaders seem to be laser focused on technological progress and, and being at that frontier and pushing that frontier forward. It sounds like that our universities could be doing more to help us compete. Yeah, so China's a good example. And, and this is actually, innovation is one small area of this. And I think there's a larger discussion about, about China's operations. Um, it it kind of comes back to the command and control versus laissez-faire uh, uh, debate. And so with innovation, China is for sure taking a strong pointed view, say for AI and funding large amounts of, of research and technology in that area. And the, the U.S. is fundamentally a more decentralized approach where uh, we are, uh, where, you know, to quote President Bush, letting a thousand flowers bloom uh, to see where things go. So I, I you know, I, I prefer the decentralized uh, approach because I don't believe we know up front what innovation will be the best specific area. I mean, it could be that uh, that a huge investment in AI is not the right the right area. Maybe we need. To, we sh- China should have invested in blockchain, for example, rather than AI. So that's the risks you run when you have co- uh, a command and control central authority trying to d- dictate innovation, which is fundamentally unknowable from the from the outset. So I think the U.S. structurally is actually in a better position with its uh, its decentralized network of universities. Uh, the universities just need to do. They need to up their game, or or a new university needs to be created. That, get, that is specifically oriented around innovation uh, and not other things and, and focused focus, uh, ridiculously on that one goal. And finally, one of my other concerns, which I uh, bring up frequently on this podcast, is that 
we will become and are becoming less open and friendly to immigration, uh, which has played a, a huge role in uh, our, our economic success and the success of our universities. Is that a concern of yours? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I have I, I spent almost all of last year writing a paper exactly on high skilled immigration. Uh, uh, fixing our immigration policies by far is probably the easiest and most straightforward way to increase our, our productivity uh, because there's just a huge uh, moving to a merit based immigration or skill based immigration system rather than our current policy of family reunification, uh, which is essentially arbitrary. Um, uh, or birthright citizenship, also somewhat arbitrary. Moving to a merit-based or skill-based immigration would vastly be productive for higher education, for raising the quality of the of the student labor force, raising the quality of our of of technical work that are hired into co companies, as well as for future entrepreneurs. So I think that's a, that's actually an easy easy win, and I hope this new administration looks at that hard uh, as as a real policy. My guest has been Karok Ray. Karok, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jim. I, I enjoyed it.